Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, and on this, the Thanksgiving episode of Better Off, we're kicking off the holiday retail season with Kim Palmer. People overspend. They spend more than they expect to, not just on their holiday gifts, but also on travel, Mm. on hosting. And then they end up being surprised by the debt that they owe, and it, it just makes it a hard way to start the new year. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. It's the Thanksgiving version. I know you're probably not listening to this on Thanksgiving, but it is being fed to you on Thanksgiving, along with all the other food you're going to eat. And we are sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. I'm falling into the old trap, which is it's Thanksgiving and therefore it's the beginning of the holiday shopping season. Sorry. It's amazing. By the way, I was in London a few weeks ago and for them... Essentially, because there's no Thanksgiving, they go straight from Halloween, boom, right into Christmas. Happy Christmas. That's their thing. Happy Christmas. So because it is the holiday retail season, I thought it would be smart of us to have somebody who covers personal finance for nerd wallet, Kimberly Palmer, a.k.a. Kim. She is an author of three books, and she is so smart when it comes to how to look forward to this holiday season and really giving some very interesting advice and a few resources as well. She's also going to touch on some financial tips for those of you who are having children or contemplating having kids. She did write the book Smart Mom, Rich Mom in 2016. So here is our interview with Kim Palmer. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Kimberly Palmer, welcome back. I'm so happy to see you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I We had to move mountains to make sure we could get you here because my schedule screwed you up, so I apologize for that in advance. But here's something exciting. When we have somebody new on the podcast who's never been on the pod before, we start with a very important question. Are you ready? I'm nervous. Are you? <laughs> what is the best financial or career decision you've ever made? It was negotiating my salary at my first job. Really? How did you know mm-hmm. to do that? My dad. He actually... <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, thank you. Yes. He actually made me practice with him. So we did... It was... I had just graduated and it was... You know, they made me a really low offer as you get when you're entry level. And my dad said, you know, before you go in, let's practice. And so he pretended to be the person offering me the job. And we had like a pretend back and forth. And that made me comfortable. You graduated at a time where the economy was fairly good, right? Well, yes. I mean, it was the early 2000s. So it was up and down a little bit. But do you think that that's a problem? I I talked to a lot of uh, millennials, like my nieces and my nephews and their friends, and they're very nervous about that conversation because they feel so grateful for having a job. Like, you know, hey, I graduated and it was 2009 and 2010. And they have a very hard time asking for the next or for any raise. What advice can you give around that? I think you just have to get comfortable with that conversation by literally having it with someone you can trust. And so for me, it was my dad. But then I started being this evangelist for this practicing and I made all my friends do it with me before they negotiated their job. So you can do you can do it with anybody. You just have to get comfortable. I read a report recently that says that that range, when when you hear a range, or if even if your own boss asks you what's your range, that you should anchor the range with like really the dollar, the lower end should be the dollar amount that you would yes. really want, right? So if you were looking for a hundred thousand and you were going to turn it around, and I really did have to corner you, what's your range? What's your range? What's your range? 
then you would say somewhere between 100 and 120, right? Yes. Something like that. But you're also willing to walk away. You have to be. I mean, and you also have to let there be silence or space sometimes. And, you know, I've made all these mistakes. I've done all these things wrong. So I'm definitely not saying I'm the best at this. It still can be uncomfortable. But, yeah, just letting them say the first number and then being willing to let them go back. And you don't have to decide it in that one conversation. It can be a multi-stage thing. Do you think that the advice is different if you already have a job? So let's say that you made the mistake. You came in. You took the low ball number because you were you were desperate, right? Like I've come out of college. It's my first job. I have to start paying back my student loans. I took a low ball number. How do I call my boss out on the fact that like I know you lowballed me? You know, it's really hard when you're in that situation because you don't have the power anymore. You have much more power before you've accepted the job. But sometimes you have to ask for a raise or negotiate. So really, sometimes the best point to do that is during a promotion cycle or during your review cycle. And you can bring up the topic and similar to the negotiation, say, you know, I was really hoping to earn closer to X amount. What can we do or what do I need to do to get to that point? And this is the time of year. A lot of people at the year end get those 360 degree performance reviews. Should you talk about money in those reviews? You know, companies vary so much because I've worked at places where they explicitly say we separate the review cycle from the salary cycle. Which I think is annoying. I agree. I agree. But sometimes it's out of your control. I mean, if your company has that policy, you might have to wait. But there has to be some time during the year that it's appropriate to bring it up. Uh, And so you have to get a feel of your company culture. And it can take a while to really grasp that. Talking to coworkers, even if you're not talking about your actual salary numbers, just getting a sense of how it works can help. All right. I want to shift gears because you are the personal finance expert at NerdWallet now. And NerdWallet, you know what I love? Number one, great swag. I was given a NerdWallet t-shirt, I think maybe seven years ago, and it was like the cutest little t-shirt with like, it looked like it had a pocket protector. Oh, I love that one. It was so cute. Anyway, it also does a great job of doing really news you can use. Talk a little bit about what is going on in December from the nerd wallet perspective. What is it that you want to emphasize for December? People are spending so much money. And one thing we've seen year after year in December is that people overspend. They spend more than they expect to, not just on their holiday gifts, but also on travel, Mm. on hosting. And then they end up being surprised by the debt that they owe. And it, it, it just makes it a hard way to start the new year. And it always is weird because people start the new year and they're like, oh, I got that debt overhang from the holidays, but I'm going to get a tax refund. And they may not get tax refunds this year. They might, but things are different. It's hard to predict. I mean, we don't always know what to expect. And so you don't want to count on that to pay off your holiday debt. And besides, you might not, you might have some credit card bills due before any refund comes anyway. So what is it that people, you're going to give me the same boring advice that I give everybody. You're going to say, okay, you got to have like some sort of idea of what you really can spend, right? You have some number. How do I stick to that? What do you think is the best way to do that? Well, that's really the starting point. So as soon as possible, uh, if you haven't already, to decide how much you want to spend per person, keep a running list so you're not buying double by accident for people, which is something we do all the time. But then there are some tricks after that kind of basics the basic budgeting, which is uh, you want to make sure with your holiday gifts and your travel that you're buying those items with a credit card that gives you some kind of reward. So for a lot of people, they like to keep it simple using something like cashback rewards. You're getting 2% back for every gift you buy. If you are traveling, you want to consider a travel rewards card. So you're stretching your budget and earning points that you can then use on a vacation or use the points you've built up 
to pay for your travel. Are there any apps that you particularly like during the holiday season? I remember um, like Red Laser was like a way to compare yeah. things. Are there anyone, any particular shopping or budgeting apps that you guys like at Nerd Wallet? For sure. So when you're out shopping, Shop Savvy is a great app to have on your phone because you can actually scan the barcodes when you're in stores and see if there's a lower price somewhere else. A lot of stores over the holidays, they don't offer their typical price matching. So that means that you want to make sure that you're actually getting the best price when you make the purchase. Mm-hmm. The Nerd Wallet app, of course, you of can course. actually, of course, you can connect your credit card and earn up to ten percent cash back uh, for purchases in store. You also want to think about browser extensions too. I really like Honey, which basically sits on your browser while you're doing your online shopping, automatically searches for coupons and applies them. Wait a minute, I don't think I know about this. Oh, well, so you tell me more it. about this. So, <laughs> what? Tell me what Honey does again. Yeah, so basically it sits on your browser. It, mm-hmm. It's not it doesn't you don't notice it until you're online shopping. Okay. And then once you have something in your cart, it a little honey sign will pop up and say, Oh, you can get this cheaper at these other sites. What? Yes. That's awesome. But that's own but it's not your phone, that's in your desktop. Exactly. So it's a Chrome browser extension. Okay. Excellent. What else should I know when I go out there and I'm shopping? I mean, it's so easy to shop online. I know that a lot of people like the experience of in-store, but should I be tantalized by this Amazon free shipping, no minimum thing? Should I be really paying attention to the shipping? Should I try to support my local, yokel retailers because Amazon's taking over the world? What do you think? I have to admit that I love Amazon. It's so easy. As someone who, you know, has kids and constantly needs new household products replenished, it's just so easy. And actually, the Amazon Prime Rewards credit card gives you 5% back on all your Amazon purchases. So Mm -hmm. that's another way to stretch your budget. So, you know, sometimes you have to just do what's easiest. And of course, if you have strong, you want to support your local stores, I'm all for that, too. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, during this interview with Kim Palmer, we are trying to make you a smarter shopper. You do not want to be the average schlub who walks into a store and pays retail without checking all of your available resources. Well, guess what? You are not the average investor either. So why settle for the same old average investing? There's a smarter way to manage your money. Betterment. Betterment is an online financial advisor for people who refuse to settle for average. They use cutting-edge technology to build personalized portfolios and help you make more from your investments. Then Betterment will guide you along the way with advice to help you make smart financial decisions. All this for one low transparent fee. Investing involves risk, we know that, but... Are better off listeners? Well, you can get up to one year managed free by visiting betterment.com slash better off. That's betterment.com slash better off. And now back to our interview with Kimberly Palmer. How are we going to get your cohort, your your young friends to start saving more? Yeah. What is it? What is it that we should be doing? So one way to do that is by thinking more about your automatic savings into retirement. It's a really good time of year to review that since we have some deadlines coming up for contributing to things like your 401k. Of course, for some things, our deadline is at the tax tax due date in April. So you want to just take the time to review what is what has been your savings rate for the year? What do you need to change? Uh, can you increase your contribution rate even slightly if you've been contributing 5%? Can you raise it to 7%? So just making those little changes can add up over time. What do you 
think is the misunderstood part of the saving and investing world when it comes to younger people who are looking ahead? Is it that it's just really hard to get people to focus so far in the future? Or are they actually better than maybe someone who's 10 or 15 years older because they came out of the financial crisis and they see how scary it could be? I think the biggest challenge to overcome in young people's minds is feeling like the stock market isn't safe. And so we make the mistake of putting money in a quote unquote safe place like you keep it in your bank account or you keep it in bonds or places that just don't historically earn the returns that you see in the stock market. Mm. And it's really a handicap for young people who do that because it's hard to keep with inflation. You mean retirement is so far out. You have such a long horizon. You want to make sure your money is growing. So I think for a lot of young people, they have to overcome that fear, that risk aversion. You know, what's so funny. It's like the young people are like my 95 year old mother-in-law Yeah, because she came yeah, she was born in 1923. So she is a child of the Depression, right? One of the things that she she was really so, like she ran my father-in-law's business. She's, you know, like has an accounting background. And she to this day says, if I hadn't been born at that time, I would have been much more comfortable investing. I just couldn't, I couldn't. It was like, it was a like a bad memory seared into my DNA almost, right? right? But if you don't like risk, what can you do? Is it simply you just have to save more? Saving more, of course, is important, but you want to make sure your money isn't just sitting there. So I think if you notice yourself still being afraid of even putting, you know, 70 percent of your long term savings into the stock market, you have to really take a close look at that and overcome it or else it will really hurt you over time. Well, Kimberly, you you come into the studio um, in a certain condition, which I (laughs) might I don't want to like out you to the whole world, but you are with child. And I was wondering if you might share some of your experiences about how to financially manage the process of being pregnant and planning in the future, because you have one or two kids already. I have two already. Um, And how old are they? Nine and almost six. Impossible that you had a nine year old when you were yourself were nine. Oh, exactly. I mean, come on. So. What is it that people don't do very well when they are pregnant and they're looking forward around the uh, the event? Now you've done it twice. Yeah. What did you not realize about your financial life when you were pregnant the first time? Well, the crazy thing is being pregnant is very cheap. It costs almost nothing, just prenatal vitamins. It's really when your baby's born that it's shocking. And so it's so easy to kind of put off saving extra and planning. I mean, the big shocker is childcare costs. Mm. So you're either going to be paying someone to take care of your baby or you're going to be giving up your income. Both of those things are hugely costly. And so I think what you really have to do and what I wish I had done sooner is start saving for those childcare costs as early as possible Mm. because it just hits you. Um, And then the other thing is, as soon as your baby's born, they have a social security number. You can open up a 529 account for them. It's something that I didn't do until my older kids were, you know, toddlers or five or six. And now I'm going to make sure I open that account as soon as the baby's born. Now, if you open that account, can your parents put money into that account or not? Absolutely. All you need is an account with the baby's social security number, and that's their college savings account. Any You can have your grand, the grandparents, anyone contribute. It's a great option. And I mean, you you only need so many toys. So it's a great time at if someone wants to give you a gift at the holidays to say, you know, what would be really useful is making a contribution. Right. Give my daughter your keys. She'll play with them for like four hours and then put, you know, 100 bucks into the 529 I mean, plan. Yes. Do you think that um, when we 
are looking at choices and going forward and and managing your career and your role as a parent. I remember years ago when I interviewed you, you talked a lot about having a bit of a side hustle. So you Mm -hmm. always had a little bit of extra money coming in. Did you maintain that while you were having these kids or were you able to put three, four million balls up in the air at once? How did you do? Yes. So I actually, my daughter, when my daughter was born nine years ago, that's what made me think I need a side hustle because I need to make sure I have income coming in no matter what. It was actually at the height of the you know recession. Wait, were you really like the Etsy person? Yes. You were the first person who told me about Etsy. Yes. I Oh, I'm excited. I was that person for you. Yeah. But I love Etsy. So I started an Etsy shop. I sold money planners. And it was so empowering. And I mean, it was bringing in, you know, a, a small but not nothing amount of money every month. And it just felt good. It felt like something I could fall back on if mm. I needed to. It is so empowering to have that on the side. Especially if you are going to decide to sort of take a step back, maybe be home or one of the couple is going to be home to have somebody in the home being able to make a little bit of money. You know, I interviewed Chris Gillibo on this show and he wrote the book Side Hustle and he's got Side Hustle You, uh, Side Hustle School. And what's fascinating to me is he interviews people who say the same thing. It's, It's yes, it's great to have the money, but almost psychically, it does wonders for you. So even if you're in a job and you say, you know what, I got to keep this job because I got a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I have to do that because I need that health insurance. I need this. I need that. But when I do this other thing on the side, it could be writing. It could be something creative. It could be, you know, using some skill that you have that you can bring to others. It really does help your like it has a psychic and a financial benefit. Totally. Every single time I got an alert, your money planner was sold. It was like a rush of like, wow, I created something of value. I can do that. And it just makes you think of all the possibilities. What else can you create? So it's something that just really feels validating. That's awesome. I've also been really into this idea of the FIRE movement, financial independence, Mm -hmm. retire early. I don't know why. I just think it's it's just better branding than don't spend more than you make and mm-hmm. put money away. What can you tell us about the fire movement among your um, your brethren, which is really a millennial? It's it's an old it's old concepts, but millennials have like are breathing new life into financial independence, retire early. Yes. So I've watched this as an observer. It's been so interesting to me how it's taken off. I find it very aspirational. So it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like looking on Instagram of these people's beautiful homes. Wow, these people are not working and they're my age. It's amazing. So for me, I love working. And so I am always telling my husband, like, even when we're so-called retired, I mean, I don't want to not be working at all. So to me, it's kind of like the opposite of how I've always thought about things. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The guy who um, writes so, you know, really interesting about this, that guy, Mr. Money Mustache, yes. right? And I thought I read an article that was really kind of cool because what he's saying is like, obviously, not every single person wants to do nothing. It really is this idea that if you pay attention to your money, you will give yourself more choices in the future. I think that the, you know, when when we talk to people or when we're talking about financial planning and personal finance, it sounds so incredibly boring and like, you know, eat your vegetables, whereas you're right, it's much more interesting and aspirational to say, you might be able to do whatever you want when you're 49. You can choose what you want. And, And only by actually paying attention to your money can you do that. Before we leave, remember when I asked you about your best financial decision and you said, I, yes. I, you know, asked for more money? 
What's your worst? Oh my gosh. So I had a small investment account that my mom encouraged me to open and I put it all in tech stocks. And this was like in the 90s or something. And then the tech stocks plummeted and I was like, oh my gosh, sell it. So I sold it for a complete loss. And of course, I'd probably be a millionaire if I hadn't sold it. So I know there's probably a little company named Amazon in there. I think so. But yes. it could have been, it also might have been like pets.com. So <laughs> That's true you too. never know. <laughs> Kimberly Palmer, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. After our interview segment, we do talk to you and we have our listener question of the week. You know, When you're thinking through your financial life, you're just kind of driving along and you say, oh, I have a question. Here's something you can do very quickly. Just pull over to the side of the road. Don't text and drive. Send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. You've got two chances every week to get on the air, but you have to email us. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's what Laura did. She's calling from Connecticut. Hello, Laura. Well, thank you. I am a huge fan of yours, so I really appreciate this opportunity. Oh, thank you. I um, I have my question was prompted by uh, the amount of uh, capital gains distributions that I'm receiving from mutual funds, Mm. and it's an issue that bothers me every year because I wind up I don't withhold against it. I don't know if there is a way to do so, Mm -hmm. but it causes me to have an uncertain amount of income every year. Um, it seems like it's increasing every year, which I guess is a good thing. Um, <laughs> and, and I know that the general, you know, uh, advice is to, you know, participate in mutual funds, which I do. But the reason why I don't like them is because of these sort of uncontrollable amounts of uh, declarations of capital gains every year. Right. Whereas if I purchase an individual stock, I'm very much more in control of when I take a capital gain. Yeah. I wonder what insight you might have regarding the mutual fund capital gains issue. I think it stinks, um, and I agree with you. It is one of the big reasons in the 90s that um, I think that a lot of people started saying, wait a second, maybe I should be looking at index funds because there's no buying and selling of the asset that's within that fund, right? I mean, because here's the problem. You know you're going to get dividends. That's easy, right? There's sort of an easy amount of money that you can kind of quickly calculate. But as you said, you cannot control whether the manager of your fund has purchased that stock 12 years ago before you ever owned the fund and then starts selling it off into a bull market and you're getting a share of that capital gains. What you could do is you could move to index funds where you don't have the only reason there would be a sale is if a stock goes in or out of the index. Right. So that's one way to limit it. But here's the problem. My guess is you've owned these funds for a long time. I have. So now you have embedded gains in these funds. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. What would you guess is. Well, first of all, what's the. So this is in a taxable account. How much is the account worth right now? Uh, probably around 400000 Okay. And what do you think the cost basis is in the fund, in these? Uh... Uh, I've had them since like 1987. Oh, so. you're screwed. Yeah, I'm screwed. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about other things that you could do. First of all, what you could potentially do is or, there's probably not one loser in that account, right? There's nothing that's um, a capital loss, is there? There's one that's probably very, it's very small. It's an international fund, but it's only like 25000 so it's not much. Mm. All right. I mean, you could get out of it and say, let me get out of this and and sell something for that's at a gain and, and be neutral. Right. Gotcha. Right. Um, that's about all you can do with that. How, tell me about the rest of your financial life. How old are you? Uh, I'm 55. 
And this is your non-retirement account. Do you have a retirement account as well? Yes, from a previous employer. And what's in there? Um, probably about 1.3 divided, probably like 80% cash, to be honest. What? Which, I know, it's naughty, but it's, it's because of just fear of, fear of the market, I guess. I guess if um, you put it all together that, you know, you say you got 400 that's invested and... But, oh, all right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to just calm down yeah. about that. I, I also have CDs outside, you know, that are a lot in cash as well. Okay. You're a safe gal. I get yep. it. How much yep. in CDs? Uh, probably about 800 Single or married? Single. Dude, with that kind, with this kind of net worth, I, I, if you want to be married, you certainly could be. But that's besides well, the I point. Have a, I have a significant one. All so. right. All right. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, and you still working? I am for a new employer where my salary has been cut in about half. Okay, how much are you making now? Uh, probably around sixty. Cover your needs though. You're sixty. Yeah, because I also have a pension from that prior employer that supplements a little bit. Uh huh. How much is the pension? Um, probably about thirty-five. All right. Well, you're in good shape. I mean, here's the deal. One way that you can avoid some nasty surprises is you can make quarterly estimates. Do you make quarterly estimates right now for when I, you're doing your taxes? I do not. You might want to do that. Yeah. And the way you avoid any penalty on your taxes is simply to just say, I'm going to pay 100% of what I owed last year in quarterly estimates. If you want to go a little bit beyond that, you could certainly do that. I don't know. It's not ter- It's not like hugely in your favor to do that because you have so much cash, you can always pay a tax bill. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want and you just want to have a little more consistency, you can do quarterly estimates. Do you work with a CPA? You do this yourself, it sounds like, right? I do it myself, yes. So I think that, you know, in your case, I wouldn't go crazy. And I wouldn't even worry that much about capital gains distributions because at this point, eh, you know, like you're not going to do that much with it. Uh, You know, there's not, I don't want you to go sell it. But if you're charitably inclined, gift some of those highly appreciated mutual fund shares to your charities of choice. Oh, okay. That's what you should do. Okay. And, you know, you could probably get by your way onto any board you want. (laughs) Is there a limit? There's no. No. Oh, okay. Uh -uh. Okay. Go crazy. Go give 50 grand away. You could make that. uh, Poof. We'll make that account go away in two seconds. Okay. Use that for your charitable giving for sure. Okay. That's helpful. No, and then you remember, you don't have to pay anything, right? Because if you gift the shares, you don't have to pay the tax that is due on the whatever you gift. So that's a great way to do it. All right, Laura from Connecticut, an amazing saver, a little wimpy on the retirement allocation. You're doing great. I wish you the best of luck and start gifting those highly appreciated shares as soon as you can because that way you don't have to worry about capital gains distributions. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to our guest, Kimberly Palmer, and our caller, Laura. We drop new episodes of Better Off every Tuesday and Thursday. If you'd like to get on the air with us, just hop onto our website, jillonmoney.com, and click Contact Us. We'll arrange to get you on the air live. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is the executive producer and runs my life. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and we're sponsored by Betterment. See you next week.